Welcome to the Epiphany Lutheran Church podcast. These messages, based on a biblical text, interpreting the hearer's situation, informed by Christian teaching, creatively proclaim the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth for forgiveness and new life starting now. Epiphany Lutheran Church is located in South City, St. Louis, Missouri. Our vision is to be a community that puts Jesus first, neighbors second, and ourselves third by gathering to be served by him so we can grow to love as he loves. Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. Well, as I said in the children's message, we're going to be looking at, uh, uh, kind of look at Ananias. There's really two, two people involved in the uh, at least named people in the text that Nathan read for us just a little while ago from, uh, from the book of Acts. And the first guy mentioned is Saul, and later we know he becomes Paul. But Saul was a really bad guy. We first encounter Saul a chapter before here, in, in uh, actually chapter 7, The leaders of the church, give me a little leeway with that word, the leaders of the church that day wanted to stone Stephen, and it says, then they, the leaders of the church, cast him, meaning Stephen, out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. In today's world, Saul, putting the best construction on everything, would be known as a bully. But in reality, he was a terrorist. He had no issue approaching people like you and I, followers of Jesus Christ, beating them up, throwing them in jail. And even if we got to murder a few people along the way, who cares? That's who Saul was. A bad guy. And Saul is on his way to Damascus to do what? He's going to beat up a few more people, arrest a few more people, throw a few more people in jail. That's what Saul is going to do. But he encounters Jesus Christ on this road. On the road to Damascus, he encounters Jesus, and his life and the life of the church is changed forever. Arguably, Saul becomes the greatest evangelist in the history of the church. And what I find out, uh, the next guy who's mentioned here is this guy by the name of Ananias, and he's really an interesting guy. There are three people in the New Testament with the same, with the, or two people with the same name. We encounter a man by the name of Ananias in Acts chapter 5. He, along with his wife Sapphira, decide they're going to help finance the church by selling some property and giving the money to the church. But what happens? All of it doesn't get to the church. And they're killed. Another Ananias is later on in the book of Acts, chapter 23, I believe. He is a high priest at the time of Paul's trials. And later, Ananias is deemed to be a traitor uh, by his people and is killed by the Jewish people. 
But this guy, Ananias, the only time we hear about him right now is in the book of Acts chapter 9, and he is a disciple of Jesus because that's what the Bible tells us. And after Paul is blinded, he goes to Damascus for three days, and then God speaks to Ananias. Ananias, God said. I think that's interesting. God is calling Ananias by name. Now, you don't answer this question, but has God ever called you by name? That's it. Right here at the baptismal font. This is where God called you by name. This is where he marked you as his own. Thank you. Ananias hears the word, hears God speak in, in what's called a vision. Could that be a dream? Okay, we'll, we'll go along with that. It was a dream. And God says, Ananias. And what is Ananias' response? Here I am, Lord. Have you heard that recently? That was in the first song that we sang. The last words of the first and last verse were, Here I am. You know, we also hear that in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah. The prophet is writing, And I, meaning Isaiah, heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Ananias hears the word of the Lord, and he says, Here I am. Now, I want you to focus on this. Ananias knows it's God who's speaking to him. Do you hear God speak to you? No, I'm not saying out loud, or maybe you have. But do you ever listen for God to speak to you? You know, Jesus says in the Gospel of John, uh, he says in, in uh, well, as soon as I get there, it'll be good, in, in, chapter, in, in chapter 10, uh, verse 4. Uh, when he, meaning the shepherd, this is Jesus speaking, when the shepherd has brought out all of his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. You know, sometimes as Christ followers, I think we really don't listen for God. You know, we're, we're so busy, wrapped up in our own, busier than busy worlds. You know, one of the things I began doing maybe 20 years ago was, was during my devotion time, which is generally around 4 o'clock in the morning. You know, most of the time at 4 o'clock in the morning, it's dark. So I have a light on in the house. And I, I have my devotion. And then it comes a prayer time. And then I pray. And when I get done praying, I sit silently. And I listen for God to speak. Maybe you should think about that. 
You know, we get done with our prayers in Jesus' name, amen, and out the door we go because we're busy people. We've got to get to school. We've got to get to work. We've got to get to the uh, shopping mall. We have got to get to the soccer game or basketball. We have got things to do. Let's get going. Amen and gone. Ananias knew God's voice because he listened for it. Let that be part of our goal as well, to listen for God's voice, not just the voice of Sports Center. Let's listen for God's voice. Now we want to move into uh, uh, verse, verse 10. Or verse 11. And the Lord said to him, to Ananias, two action words, two verbs. He says, rise and go. Get up. Get going. You know, I think that's the fault of the church today. We're very content to come here every Sunday morning and sit in the same seats that we always, and don't you sit in my seat. Don't do that. We're very content to, to come here and, and have wonderful worship and, and, and read the Word of God, hear the Word of God proclaimed on specific Sundays, receive the body and blood of Jesus, and this is th- that's it. You know, Jesus says go to a whole lot of people in the Bible. Uh, Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter 12. This is the call of Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Where was that? Think about what Abram did here. He didn't say, God, you know... What are the employment opportunities to the to the land you're going to show me? What's it What's it like there? Uh, can my wife and I get a nice house? You know, my wife wants to do a little part time work. Are there part time jobs where you're sending me? Go to the land I will show you. God just simply says to Abram, "Go." And what does Abram do? He leaves. Jesus says to you and I. Jesus says to you and I in the Gospel of Matthew, very popular what I'm about to read here, verse, uh, chapter 28, verse 19, uh, uh, Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Jesus is telling you and I, he told Abram, he told Ananias to go. And you know, sometimes I think when we think about that word going, we think we have to go far away. What about your own house? What about your neighbors? What about where you work? What about where you go to school? What about where you shop when you're at the kids' soccer game or the grandkids' soccer game? What's wrong with going there? I've been to foreign countries on mission trips. I've been to a country named India where there is no one in this country as poor as the, as the people in India are poor. No one. But there's lots of work for me to do right in my own neighborhood. 
right where I live. But I can't do any work by sitting in the house all day. I need to rise and I need to go. So God says to Ananias, turn the television off, put the computer away, get up from your fancy and nice comfortable couch and go. And he tells precisely what he wants him to do. do. Go to Damascus, go to Straight Street, and there at the house of Judas, there's a, there's a man named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him that he might regain his sight. God gives Ananias specific instructions here as to what to do. And what's Ananias' response? I am not going to go, Lord. I don't care what you say. I don't care. You know, you don't know some things, God. I happen to be living on earth. You're just hanging out in heaven where it's really nice and comfortable, where there's not a whole lot going on. But right here on earth, there's some really bad people, and Saul happens to be one of them. Notice how, how he defends himself, how he uh, goes into to something, uh, how he uh, uh, attacks God, let's say. And then I said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints. It's your fault, God. I am not going to go there, God, because this is just not the right thing to do. I don't even want you to send somebody else. This is hard work. I'll tell you a story about me. It was 1999... It was the spring quarter at Concordia Seminary right down the road here in Clayton. And as I may have told you before, maybe the first or second time I was here, that that I worked full-time for the Missouri Synod Foundation. I was a part-time student. I took maybe two or three classes a quarter while everybody else took four or five. And... uh, I had a good friend, and I shouldn't say that. He was not. He was a friend. His name was Rick, and Rick worked full-time for LCMS World Mission, and he, too, went to seminary part-time. And our paths would cross every now and then at the uh, world headquarters of the, uh, of the Missouri Synod, and we'd say hi and chat for a little bit. And, and there, there are two main differences between Rick and I. You know, I am not short. Some of you are thinking I might be. I am vertically challenged. I mean, let's get the political correctness straight here. I'm not short. I'm political. Thank you for that, brother. I am. I am vertically challenged, and and so and. But Rick isn't. Rick's Rick's tall, and I'm short, or kind of like Mutton Jeff. And uh, Rick has got an IQ that's off the charts, and mine is about six. So he's a lot smarter than I am. And, and so we would engage in conversation, and he would always get into this conversation about these things. I had no idea what he was talking about, but he did. But Rick was, was uh, uh, on fire for the gospel in foreign lands. Rick couldn't wait to be a missionary. One day at class, he turns after class is over, and he says, what are you doing for lunch? I said, well, I don't really know. And he said, and, and he and I had this class together, lunch, and then class. So class, lunch, class. So we go out to lunch together, and he starts talking about missions, and the man wouldn't be quiet. Wouldn't shut up about missions. And I finally said, Rick, I, I, man, brother, I, I applaud you, and God be praised for you that you're so on fire, but I have no interest in missions. I, don't, I just want to be a parish pastor. 
Well, you should think about a short-term mission trip. Rick, I don't want to do that. You know that's hard to do. That's a lot of work that goes into those things. You just don't go to a foreign land. You know, you've got to get a passport, and you've got to pay for your airfare there and back. You've got to pay for your hotel or wherever you're a hostel, wherever you're going to stay. You gotta, I, I, I don't want to do that. I'm out of my comfort zone doing that. Rick said these words, John, I am going to pray for you. And God said to me, rise and go. It was July of 2000. I found myself in Mexico on a short-term mission trip. Later on, I went to the Czech Republic. Later on, I went to Germany. Later on, I went to uh, Poland. Later on, twice I went to India. Once I went to Africa. I'm not bragging here, friends. I'm letting you know that I was very uncomfortable going anywhere other than my my immediate area surrounding my home and my congregation. But God called me out of that. God said to rise and go. So my challenge to you, what's he telling you to do? Where is God telling you to go? What mission does God want you to be on? I'm not suggesting for a moment to do what I did. God called me to do that. What's he calling you to do? Is he calling on you to take a different role here at Epiphany Lutheran Church? Is he calling on you to take on a different role in your home, in your neighborhood, where you work, where you go to school? Where is God calling you to be? And what are you telling God? I'm too busy. That sounds like work. I don't have time. It costs too much. Ananias said to God, This Saul is a bad dude and I am not going there. But what happens after he puts up his argument? Verse 15, But the Lord said to him, Go! Ananias goes. Verse 17, Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales from Paul's fell from Paul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Listen to what Ananias does here. The man is scared. And he goes, he gets to Judas' house, he sees who Paul is, and it says the first thing he do, he lays hands on him. You know, that's a pretty powerful thing. You know, laying on of hands is a New Testament uh, uh, a rite in the church, if you will, where, where you, 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 you recognize somebody being set apart uh, or somebody f- uh, who's been given authority. In fact, I pray that the pastor you called very soon is going to be here and be installed. And what happens when a pastor's installed? Other pastors from the circuit, from the area, uh, pastors that he may know, will come up to him and lay hands on him. Because your pastor, soon to be, is set apart, is being called by God through you to be the pastor here 
at Epiphany Lutheran Church. He also will be given authority as the pastor of this congregation. So the first thing that Ananias does to Saul is he lays hands on him, recognizing that Saul is being set apart for something very special, and that is to preach the crucified and risen Christ to Gentiles, you and me. Where would the church be without Paul? Paul, later, travels throughout the globe sharing the saving gospel of Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus lived a perfect life, that Jesus suffered and died on the cross of Calvary, that Jesus was buried, and that Jesus, by the power of his Father, was raised that third day. That Jesus died for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Period. So the first thing Ananias does is lay hands on this very special man, Saul. Second thing he does, he baptizes him. Just like you one day, <coughs> baptized with the water and the word of God attached to it washes away your sins. Where the Holy Spirit comes upon you to begin and grow faith in you. At that baptism, the pastor made the sign of the cross on your forehead and upon your heart to mark you, to mark you, you specifically as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. That's what Ananias did for Saul. And then he gave him some food to eat. Listen to what this guy did. No, I'm not going to go. Then he lays hands on him and nourishes him in soul and body. Ananias somewhat of a nondescript guy in the Bible. Ananias. Just a little mention of him in the Acts chapter 9. And this guy who was probably felt of himself like I do, very ill-equipped, nonetheless is called by God and sent by God. You too. So rise! And go. So be it. Amen.